This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. The Diamond Fields of South Africa by Scientific American. Scientific American Supplement, number 392, July 7, 1883 by Various, is part of the Hacker Noon book series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. The Diamond Fields OFSOUTH Africa. The Diamond Fields of South Africa. Dot. At a recent meeting of the Institution of Civil Engineers, the paper read was, On the Diamond Fields and Mines of South Africa, by Mr. James N. Paxman, ASOC. M. Inst. C.E. The author commenced by stating that Kimberley was situated in Griqualand West, above 700 miles northeast from Table Bay, and 450 miles inland from Port Elizabeth and Natal on the east coast. Lines of railway were in course of construction from Table Bay and Port Elizabeth to Kimberley, and were about half completed. In Griqualand there were several diamond mines, the principal of which were Kimberley, De Beers, Dutoit's Pan, and Boltfontein. In the Orange Free States there were also two mines, viz. Jaegersfontein and Coffeefontein, the first of which produced fine white stones. The mines were all divided into claims, the greatest number of which were to be found in the Dutoit's Pan mine. Boltfontein came next. The deepest and most regularly worked was the Kimberley mine. The next deepest Vos de Beers, which, however, was very unevenly worked. Then followed Du Toitspan and Boltfontein. The Du Toitspan mine ranked next in importance to Kimberley mine. Diamonds were first discovered in 1867 by Mr. O'Reilly, a trader and hunter, who visited a colonist named Van Niekerk, residing in Griqua. The first diamond, on being sent to the authorities, was valued at 500 L. Considerable excitement was caused throughout the colony, and the natives commenced to look for diamonds, and many were found, among which was one of 83 and a half carats, valued at 15,000 L. In 1868 many enterprising colonists made their way up the Val River, and were successful in finding a good number of diamonds. The center of the river diggings on the Transvaal Sidewa Clipdrift, and on the opposite side Niel. In all there were 14 river diggings. Du Toit's Pan and Boltfontein mines were discovered in 1870 at a distance of 24 miles from the river diggings. The diggers took possession of these places. Licenses were granted giving the first diggers a right to work. In 1871 De Beers and Kimberley mines were discovered, and in 1872, Mr. Spaulding's great diamond of 282.5 carats was found at the river diggings. The mines were of a regular shape, and were surrounded by reef. The top reef was a loose shale, and had given great trouble from the frequent slips. Below this were strata of trachytic breccia and agite. The formation was then seamy to an unknown depth. Within the reef, the surface soil was red, and of a sandy nature. The next stratum was of a loose, yellow, gravelly lime, and the third blue, of a hard, slaty nature. This last was the real diamantiferous soil. Large stones had been found in the yellow, but the working of this generally did not pay. Kimberley mine, however, had paid very well all through. The method of working in deep ground was determined by roadways running north and south. The soil was hauled up to these roadways, and taken to the sorting tables. The roadways decaying shortly after exposure to the atmosphere, a system of hand windlass was adopted, which worked very well for a time until horsewhims were adopted in 1873. The depths of the mines increasing, horsewhims had to give way to steam engines in 1876. The first diggers treated on an average 10 loads per day each party. At the present time the least taken out by any engine, when fully employed, was 250 loads per day. The cost of working, with present appliances, the first 100 feet in depth, was 3s. 6d. Per load. The second 100 feet, mostly blue, 5s. The third 100 feet 8s. And the fourth 100 feet 11s. 
Through scarcity of water a system of dry sorting had to be resorted to for several years, but it was superseded by the introduction of washing machinery, which was now generally employed. At the commencement, through inexperience, many serious mistakes were made. When the first diggers reached the bottom of the red sand, they thought no diamonds would be found in the next stratum. When, however, diamonds were found in the second stratum, the diggers had again to remove the debris, and so also when the blue was reached. Some of the claims in the Du Toit's Pan and Bultfontein mines were irregular in shape. The other mines, however, had been properly and regularly laid out. One or two shafts had been connected with the mines by underground galleries. These galleries were convenient in the case of Falls Ofrief. Labor, at first, was cheap, but from twenties. Per month, wages rose to thirties. Per week, and food. The yellow soil offered no difficulty in working, being loose and broken, but the blue soil required blasting. Several methods were adopted for extracting the soil and carrying it from the mine before steam was introduced. The cost of wood for heating purposes was a serious item, but good coal had now been found at 160 miles from Kimberley, costing 13 L. per ton. Another serious item of expense was the transport over natural roads only, costing from 18 L. to 30 L. per ton. The machinery designed by the author for this industry was described. A 16-horsepower direct-acting winding engine was introduced for hauling up loads at the rate of about 1,000 feet per minute, and a 25-horsepower geared engine, for hauling up heavier loads at the rate of from 600 feet to 700 feet per minute. Water was dear, and water heaters were fitted to each engine, by which 33% of the water was again used, thus saving one-third. The boilers were of the locomotive type, mostly of steel, to save weight, and thus reduce the cost of transit. The fireboxes were also made of steel of very soft and ductile quality. A semi-portable engine was made for driving the washmill. The engine was so arranged that it might be removed from the boiler and placed separately. The boiler was made to work at a pressure of 140 pounds per square inch. Automatic cutoff gear was fixed to each engine, and the governors we reprovided with a spiral spring for adjusting the speed. A screen, or cylinder washmill and elevator, were used for dealing with the diamantiferous soil, and were described. Standing wires were fixed at the back of the machinery, and passed over a frame fixed at the top of the mine, the end of the mine being secured to strong wooden posts. After the blue soil had been blasted and collected into trucks, it was placed in tubs, which ascended the standing wires. It was then emptied into the depositing box. The yellow soil might be put into the washmill direct, also that portion of the blue which had passed through the screen fixed over the depositing box. The remainder of the blue, which was spread out to a thickness of 4 inches or 6 inches on the depositing ground, some distance from the mine to dry, was delivered into the upper part of the screen. The return water from the elevator, with a portion of fresh water, was also discharged at this point, and operations were thus greatly facilitated, the soil becoming thoroughly saturated, and passing more easily down the chutes. The large pieces which would not drop through the meshes of the screen were discharged into trucks at the lower end and carried away. The smaller pieces with water, in the form of sludge, fell through into a chute, and thus were conveyed into the washmill pan, and they're kept in constant rotating motion by agitators. The diamonds and other pieces of high specific gravity sank to the deepest part of the pan, and the remainder of the sludge was forced over the inner ledge to the elevator. The sludge was then lifted and thrown upon an inclined screen and down the chute over the side of the bank. The residue left in the pan at the end of the day's work was passed through a pulsator, in which, by the force of water, the mud and lighter particles were carried away, leaving behind the diamonds, agates, garnets, and other heavy stones. It was the practice occasionally to put a few inferior stones in the soil, to test the efficiency of the machinery.
1881 the author paid a visit to Kimberley, and found the industry a large one. The post office return showed the value of diamonds passed through the office in one year to be 3,685,000 l. Illicit diamond traffic had hitherto been a source of great trouble at the fields. It was a question whether this industry would ever cease, in any case there was no doubt but that it would last for a vera century. It was believed that the main bed of diamonds had not yet been reached, and that the mines in operation were merely shafts leading to it. Now that the waterworks were finished, with a bountiful supply of water, coupled with the great boon of railways to the fields, and the advantage of a law recently passed for the prevention of illicit buying, a great and prosperous future was in store for the diamond fields. About Hacker Noon book series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Various, 2005. Scientific American Supplement, Number 392, July 7, 1883. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. Retrieved https colon slash slash www. Gutenberg. Org, Cache, EPUB, 8742, PG 8742 Images. HTML This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online atwww. Gutenberg. Org. Located at https colon slash slash www. Gutenberg. Org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish. Dot.